much for joining our podcast. Um, and so it's great to have you on the call, on the episode. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks. Thank you so much. So, Tom, you are a compliance evangelist and also known as the voice of compliance. Um, you wrote books and out to 19 books, actually, on business leadership, compliance, and ethics and corporate governance. Um, doing so many things in the field and best practice under the FCPA and Bribery Act um, and, and so, so many more, actually. So, Tom, there's so many achievements. and uh, Wow, that's actually incredible. Um, maybe I forgot something. Would you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. It's actually I'm up to 23 books now. Um, oh, wow. And uh, June was my latest publication of the third edition of the Compliance Handbook, which is, in my opinion, the best single volume on the design, creation, and implementation of a best practices compliance program. I've been in the compliance field since uh, 2007. I was a general counsel at a company that had a violation of the U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, and that's uh, I was part of the new management team that came in to put together a compliance program, and that's really where I learned how to design, create, and implement compliance programs. I uh, went out on my own uh, in 2010. In, uh, I, I wanted to be the nuts and bolts guy. And so if you need uh, someone to help design, create, or enhance your compliance program, I'm, I'm the guy. I guess there are many complexities in the process, and companies might be asking themselves, where should they start? Well, it's a simple program. It's just not easy. Yeah. And as you said, where do you start? Well, you start with a risk assessment because every government wants you to assess your risks. The risk of your company are going to be different than the risks of my company. Um, one, we operate in different countries, for instance. Number two, we have different employees. Number three, your customers are not my customers, meaning they're different. And so our, our risks are different. And so what the government would say to each of us, for both your company and my company, is assess your risks and then manage the risks you have through a compliance program. Yeah. And, and thinking about that, companies, you said that, and that the regulator might come and knocking at your door. Um, companies need to perform internal audits or external audits or just be prepared how can they verify uh, the implementation and effectiveness of their compliance program? Sure. Uh, and that's a great point because remember the la uh, when I gave the kind of eight categories, the last category was continuous monitoring. Internal audit is a part of that step. So uh, an audit is a relatively narrow review, but a deep review. So audit may say, we want to look at your entertainment spend over the past two years. So they may come to you or me and, and we have to give them all of our entertainment, business entertainment for business development spend. And they would look at each one of our spending to see if we follow the policy and procedures. That's audit. Uh, contrast monitoring with audit. Monitoring is a very broad look at one topic but uh, not very deep. So monitoring might look at spending for the last three months. It might look at it for the past six months, but monitoring can look at it across your organization. So it's going to look at all your salesmen. 
and uh, say your spending is, uh, say you have a policy which says anything over $75 spent for business development must have pre-approval by your compliance program. Well, that means anything below that, you don't. So you would look at all of your spending. Number one, if it's above $75, was there pre-approval? Number two, do you have one salesman who has 100 receipts for $74.99? That tells you something as well. So monitoring and auditing are both tools to use in your continuous monitoring process. They have different functions, but they're both an important part of a best practices compliance program. Oh, wow. That's that's just raising me many, many other questions, but that's great, a great idea where to start. And also, uh, it seems that also ethics is part of compliance of the FCPA because uh, ethics has something to do, I think it's related, it's, it's closely related, uh, ethics and FCPA. What do you think about that? Does it? Sure. And so in the United States, the U.S. Department of Justice talks about what is your corporate culture? Do you have a culture that um, asks each employee to do business in the right way, meaning don't pay bribes to get business? That's ethics. And so what's the tone in your organization? Is your organization one that that follows the rules? Uh how do you measure that? How do you assess that? Because if it's important to the U.S. government, it's important to you and me, and it's important yeah. to our companies. So how you assess that that issue of ethics and corporate culture is extremely important, but you have to find a way to do that because it's important to the government. So ethics is absolutely a part of compliance. Compliance is how you implement the ethical values of your organization, which is another way of saying your corporate culture. Yeah. And um, is this is the thing that the code of conduct and ethics that every employee in the company needs to sign when he's hired for a new role in a, in a company? Uh, absolutely. And, and for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, so I'm a lawyer by professional training, and I believe everyone should know what the rules are. And your code of conduct broadly sets the rules. It doesn't give you the specifics, but it may say, don't pay bribes. It may say, don't um, collude with competitors for anti-competitive actions. It may say, don't discriminate. It may say a variety of things. So it's going to set the general tone for your organization. So it's important that when an employee, a new employee comes to your company, you give them code of conduct training so you can begin to set that tone. One, they get to know the rules. Two, you set the tone. And if I'm a new employee and I see that your company has a robust code of conduct, uh, I'm going to understand this is what you expect of me when I do business for this company. So it's important to set the expectations. And, And lastly, it's important to set not simply the expectations, but try to set the corporate culture or the tone of the organization through your code of conduct. So I believe uh, every new employee should receive code of conduct training. Uh, You have to be tested on it to prove you've taken it and you understand it. Uh, As a lawyer, I'm all for telling people what the rules are, 
but it's more, much more broader than telling them what the rules are. It's really to set the tone of the organization and the expectations for each employee. All right. All right. No, that makes sense. And I've been experiencing this process myself um, at, at, uh, working at EY and also at our current company at Cytel. Um, this is actually a mandatory process for employees to come and read the code of conduct, understand, get training, and eventually sign and consent to the code of conduct. But I will think, and, and that's connected, uh, get me back to the previous subject, and uh, monitoring the effectiveness, I guess, it's not easy, uh, would it? Um, it's very broad, it's comprehensive across the company. You know what you know, you know what you don't know, but sometimes there are things that you don't know that you don't know. So it's fine, uh, um, challenging in some cases for a company into monitoring uh, uh, the effect effectiveness. Do you see any trends uh, on that space? Sure. So you're absolutely right. Um, And you coming from EY is a perfect example. I'm sure you had a robust code of conduct. I know you do. And I know you have training on that. Uh, Just as I was with major energy companies in Texas where I had code of conduct training and I was tested on that training. Um, I had to teach that as a lawyer in the legal department. But you can't anticipate every situation in a code of conduct, nor should you. You try to give broad guidelines, don't pay bribes, don't discriminate, don't engage in anti-competitive behavior, et cetera. But what I would ask of you if I was giving you training is, Marianne, if you have a question, raise your hand. Here, uh, call compliance. What I try to tell people in training is the most important thing I want you to leave here with is if you have a question, pick up the phone, call me, raise your hand, uh, ask your supervisor, uh, talk to someone, um, speak up, whatever it may be. Uh, And it could be a 30-second call. It can be uh, the example I gave about uh, the $75 limit on your expenditure. Uh, You call me and say, you know, Tom, I'm going to a very expensive restaurant. I have a very important client. I wanted to, to let you know that we may go over the 75. Can I call you at home to get an approval when the bill comes? Answer, sure. Uh, is a verbal approval acceptable in that circumstance? Absolutely. If you're sitting in the restaurant and your bill has come in, uh, you've had a, a very nice bottle of wine, maybe a little more expensive than usual, and you call me and say, Tom, I've got this. Can I, can I get it? Absolutely. But for me, in the compliance function, I want to have, one, I want you to trust me enough to pick up the phone. Two, I want to be there when you, as the business person, have that question. And three, I need to have the professional and subject matter expertise to answer your question. You you don't have to know everything about compliance. That's the job of the compliance officer. And they should be able to answer your question about Can I give this gift? Can I give this dinner? Can I do something uh, quickly and efficiently so you can go do business for the company? Yeah. You don't know, just ask. As simple as that. Exactly. I could not have said it better. In fact, I'm going to steal that line from you. If you don't know, (laughs) just ask. That's great. Yeah, that's that's maybe the the secret sauce when it comes to compliance. And um, just before we finish, many, many people are thinking about getting into the compliance space. 
And do you get, have any tips for people at the beginning of the journey, maybe lawyers or, um, you know, just, the, just personnel that really find this in, in, inquisitive about compliance? Um, any tips for them? Sure. So, um, and that's a great question because uh, I came to compliance from the general counsel's office. Uh, I didn't start in compliance like most people my age. Uh, we all started our career some, somewhere else and gravitated to compliance either um, for whatever the reason was, and I'm one of those people. But now compliance has become so important and so significant in every corporation that it is uh, compliance is recognized as its own discipline. And uh, there's now professional training you can get at the university level, at the graduate level. Uh, you can get MBAs focusing on compliance. Uh, you can take uh, law schools now have sort of compliance courses you can take. And it's a great opportunity for uh, people in, acad uh, in university right now or people who are thinking of making a change of going into a field that's relatively young, relatively new, but it's going to be around here forever. Oh, yeah. uh, I see e ESG as an outgrowth of compliance. And ESG is the most ubiquitous term in the corporate world right now, I think literally across the world. And so if you have the skills to do compliance, you can do a wide variety of things in a corporation. Some of those skills, uh, as I've said, I don't know how many times I'm a lawyer, so I look at things through a lawyer's eyes, and I think it's a value to, to know the law. But you don't need to be a lawyer to be in compliance. You can be uh, from marketing. You can be from uh, supply chain. You can be from business operations. You can be from finance. All of those skills are incredibly important to compliance. Uh, the, the interpretation and use of data is probably the most important skill a person can have now going into compliance. Unfortunately, that's not a skill I have. I can read and write, and I can tell you what the law is. And I can tell you how to build a program. I'm not very good with numbers, nor are many lawyers. So uh, if you really want to, to distinguish yourself in compliance and your professional background is, is as good as any, uh, you know, with EY, whatever your work you did with EY was, and I don't know what it is, but I know it involved numbers. Uh, and so you have a set of skills I don't have. And whether it was audit, whether it was uh, research, whether it was consulting, it doesn't matter. You, you, you brought a different set of eyes to problems than I did. And so you would have an advantage over someone like me who is legally trained. So the field is wide open. It's open for uh, women. It's open for men. It's open uh, for non-lawyers. And it's only going to grow. Amazing. Amazing. Um, that's super curious. And I'm sure uh, many, many people understand that that's the future. It's already here. It's been the past. It's the present. It's the future. It's only going to grow for different space. I see this in the information security space. Compliance became a big thing when it came to data, um, in financial, in legal, and actually everywhere. So compliance there is the future. And, and I think that Personally, I'm very curious about that, and thank you very much for sharing from your insights and knowledge. That was, was fascinating, and uh, so thank you very much, Tom. Um, 
and hope to meet with you again soon. Well, I hope so. Thank you for uh, having me on your show. Thank you so much.